are listening to Thunder Radio, the podcast of the Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Centre. Welcome to Thunder Radio. I'm your host, Kim Kakiganek. The topic of suicide is not an easy one to discuss. It can be very difficult to talk about and sometimes very painful, but it is something that has to be faced, especially because today the rate of suicide is 10 times higher on reserves than the rest of the population of Canada. Here at MFNERC, we have a suicide prevention liaison officer on staff, Kevin Kipling. Hi, Kevin here. Good, how are you? No, I've been traveling quite a bit. I I sat down with Kevin to talk about his work, the struggles, the reasons why he thinks so many First Nations young people are using suicide as a coping strategy, but also what's being done to help and what resources are out there and, above all else, that there is hope. So first we'll start off with describe your job here at MFNERC. Well, right now I'm, uh, I'm, I have two roles here. Um, one role would be to develop and implement um, the HELP program, and that's a helpers and education, helpers in life education uh, program. Um, and what we're doing there is we're just certifying um, school counselors, because what we found a lot of our a lot of our schools are operating without school counselors, so the kids don't have someone to go talk to. And what I mean by school counselors is not not the type of counseling where you go into the office and then they tell you what kind of courses to take, but some someone to talk to about their issues, whether it's mental health or, or stuff going on at home, things like that. Because what we're finding is a lot of what's happening out in the community ends up at the school at some point. So they're bringing those issues to school. Um, so I'm doing that program, um, but what I've done is I've secured uh, an additional uh, pot of money from Healthy Child Manitoba mm-hmm. um, to do suicide prevention, mental health, kind of off the side of my desk to get the ball rolling in that area. Uh, that piece has probably taken up more of my my workload. Is with the daily requests and stuff for suicide prevention stuff. So. And so the work that you're doing, what drew you into the field? I just kind of happened. Um, well, I know right out of high school I became um, a band constable. Mm-hmm. And I was working in Saging First Nation. and But I was always going into the, the First Nation communities surrounding and Work closely with the RCMP, and some of the times I was first on site, I'd say um, suicide attempts, or so there are people who wish to die by suicide, went through with their wishes to die. And uh, <clears throat> it was there, I was first on the scene, and I didn't really understand it. Why? Why would someone want to kill himself? And I ended up going back to university for my BSW, and that's kind of where my focus kind of stayed, was with around mental health and suicide prevention, depression, mm-hmm. schizophrenia, all that types of stuff. Eh? So that's kind of what first got me into it. Mm-hmm. Right. So in your job now, uh, what are some of the biggest frustrations you face? Um, it comes down to money. Um, 
government funded programs uh, with all the cutbacks and whatnot. Um, and there needs to be like big support from our leaders as well to push this issue forward or to get trained folks out in the community. Um, the biggest, a lot of the biggest frustration too is about um, a lot of our First Nation communities. There's a high staff turn, turnover in, as far as health, so you get somebody trained, and then they leave the position. Someone new comes in, and, and it eats up your health budgets pretty quick. Um, also, um, I see a big disconnect between, um, like, health and education. Uh, not only that, but a lot of programs in our First Nation communities seem to be uh, working in silo. Not all of the communities, but some communities that I've worked with. They kind of do their own thing and don't share information and stuff. So that's where I see a lot of our people falling through the crack because they're not being supported from all different programs. I, th I believe that that's what a, how I see or how our community is getting healthy is working in a holistic way. All all different programs working together to support support people as they're going through mental health issues or any type of crisis or trauma. Um, especially when people are flown into, say, Children's Psych or the Health Science Center and they come back. They're back in crisis mode again. There's not enough support there for the kids, or kids, or even our adults. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the chiefs. I'm just wondering, um, do they, are they? Do you find that they are on board with what you're trying to do? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I did get a number of support letters. I got a support letter from um, from the grand chief supporting this mental health initiative oh, as good. well. Yeah. Um, because let's let's face it, like they're they're under the gun too. As far as you know, what are you doing for suicide prevention? Exactly. Stuff like yeah. that. And so it's 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 a big problem in our communities. The stats show it that mm -hmm. we're really high rates. So the next question is kind of related to the one that I just asked, but um, what gaps or holes do you see needing to be filled regarding resources for youth in crisis? So I guess what's missing. Um. I just again um, all working together um, with with health and education. Um, the biggest gap that I think is there needs to be more uh, more dollars put towards these programs, more training. Um, there needs to be more, probably more people doing what I'm doing right now, and, and just focusing directly on the schools, right? With the youth and, and building capacity by training, training the teachers and stuff like that, and administration staff. And it's not only teachers need to be trained. Like we got people, kids coming and um, opening up to say the janitor, or um, what I've seen too is a lot of the kids are coming to say phys ed teachers or um, shops teachers. And it seems that they're coming to these people because they're not actually sitting them down and asking them face-to-face, -face, what's your problem? They're actually doing something and then throwing those questions in there. Mm. Um, but again, it comes down to money, um, more to, to develop more resources for our kids. 
This is a very broad question, but in your opinion, why are today's young people, um, and not just young people, adults as well, deciding that taking their lives is the only answer? What I've noticed over my years of experience working with the crisis units and the crisis lines, stuff like that, um, going to the, to the kids' homes and, and talking to them, um, doing my mental status exams that I used to do back in my old job. But what I noticed is that a lot of our people are using um, uh, suicide as a, as a coping mechanism, way to end the pain, the emotional pain that's happening. A lot of our, our youth feel that um, whatever happened to them is happening now and is not going to end. That the emotional pain they're feeling, whether it's relationship, breakup, bullying, whatever, that the pain they're feeling is not going to go away. And the only way to end it is um, by killing themselves. And in some issues, in some, some situations. Um, also, we have, we have kids... Um, that are really young, and what I, the way that I interpret it, or with my past experience, I see, I see it as a learned behavior, and it can be prevented at any time. I believe. So, um, what I, again, the biggest thing that I think is that uh, a lot of our kids too are um, our youth are not taking enough time to sit and learn the teaching skills they need, like the problem-solving skills from our elders and whatnot. Um, life's really fast for them. Um, they're seeing a lot of things on the Internet at a young age where their brains can't comprehend and, and take that information and filter it. Um, <clears throat> also, I see a big, uh, a lot of social anxiety from hours and hours spent on a computer on the, here we go again, the video games. Um, they're not socially interacting, so they develop social anxieties, start isolating themselves more, and they're not moving as much. Um, some statistics show that play, children's play, has gone down okay. due to, um, like a lot of internet games, whatever. Because um, our youth need to get out there and play. They need to run, they need to move creates dopamine in the serotonin and stuff it makes you feel good mm -hmm. I think that's that could be a reason too yeah. there's, there's a lot of factors whether it's uh, you know health determinants um, could be poor poor living conditions you know sometimes you got 15 16 people living in a two bedroom home so overcrowding um, especially in isolated communities um, not much resources there again alone a lot mm -hmm. um, big one too is a lot of our kids who are say kicked out of school now they're at home doing nothing and that's something we need to look at as well yeah, yeah. Um, oh so you kind of mentioned this but then the next question was um, how big of a factor is isolation it is huge um, especially when some of the communities they've been to it's sixteen ninety nine for a 4 liter jug of water um, but also just that isolation, um, getting up every day, um, not having much to do, like, uh, that's when depression sets in and you, you're not moving as much and there's not much to do. Isolation, uh, their, their resources are really, um, 
though. And, you know, it costs so much for someone to come in and say, do assessments, things like that, my mental health problems. Um, but again, it comes down to lack of resources, isolation, the cost of transportation. Like, it costs more for me to fly up north in, in our own province than it does for me to go to Toronto or Ottawa or wherever else. So, transportation is huge for, for their people and the cost of food daily living stuff so yeah that's uh, a couple of the problems of being in the isolation okay so what help or resources are available now and I realize it probably is very different from community to community but I guess just in, in general um, what's out there for for people well um, their first nation health they do have uh, mental health workers um, Suicide Prevention Coordinators in some of the communities, the NAPES, National Aboriginal Youth Suicide Prevention Strategy. Um, they do have um, suicide prevention workers out there. Um, what I see is a lot of communities are more uh, utilizing their elders more, maybe going back to ceremony, some of the communities. Like the clinic has a 24-hour uh, crisis line. Um, there's a website, Reason to Live. So there's, there's different places for, for, for people to go. When I, a lot of the communities, and we go back to the isolation, a lot of the communities' um, um, confidentiality comes into play. So a lot of our people don't want to go to the health worker. Maybe it's auntie or cousin or yeah, something. Everyone knows everyone. Then their yeah. information gets out. So they really isolate themselves and keep stuff bottled in, and that's where the danger comes in. So I always, when I go to communities, I give them a list of places they can call and uh, people they can talk to, someone who's not going to share your information, some, maybe someone you don't know, but and that's releasing that bad stuff you're carrying around. So I see that as, as um, a way for our people to get uh, to get help, some help they need. Mm -hmm. So the 24-hour crisis lines, kids' help phone, things like that. Yeah. Just someone to talk to, you know. 65-75% of suicides are preventable by just having someone to talk to. And <clears throat> that's what I always talk to the people, just to, to talk, find someone you can trust, and just get that stuff out, whether you either write it down or you do in other ways, to say working out or playing sports, anything, just to get all that, in, that stuff you're carrying around out. Yeah. You mentioned the Reason to Live um, website. I was wondering if you could just say one or two things about it, what what exactly it is. It's a website you can go to, and then there's there's elder stories on there, and there's um, past survivors stories you can click on, and just listen to how they got help, or people, you know, help themselves, or ways that, um, just basically giving anecdotal information on, you know, what, what to do, stuff like that. Okay. How to keep yourself safe. Um, so are there any examples that you can think of of schools that have successful mental health programs or is it still something that's thought of sort of as an outside? This, this is still seen as outside. Because yeah. when I go into the communities, I, do, I give, the, give the schools a suicide awareness workshop questionnaire. And every one of my questionnaires comes back as an evaluation piece that comes back as we need more mental health suicide prevention strategies or, or training in that area. 
Because what I find is a lot of teachers first come out of university and, they, and when I go in and do, um, say, a training, they say, well, I'm not trained for this. I'm, a, I'm an academic. And I always, my reply is always, well, if a child comes to you and wants to talk to you about their problems, they're opening up to you for a reason. So just having just a little bit of, of training on what to do when a dead child does do that. Because if we tell that child, hey, you go down, down the hall and see Counselor Susie. Maybe that child doesn't connect with Counselor Susie or want anybody to know they're going to see Counselor. So I would say, well, they're coming to you for a reason. And if we send them off, they're probably not going to go ask for help again. They're shutting the door in that child's face, right? Um, there are some successful programs, some schools going on that are, um, the ones that I see are doing well are uh, implementing their culture, having culture camps, um, you know, smudging, all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to get too much into religion, but that's kind of where I see it. Um, I, I attended um, in Montreal a while back, and uh, it was a suicide, international suicide conference. And there were some people there from Newfoundland. And they had a really, really high rate of suicide in the community, real, extremely high. And they came together as a community. Each program started working together, school, education, CFS, all that stuff, health. And what they did was they started monitoring Facebook. They developed a crisis team right in the community that would, if they seen something posted on Facebook, they knew who it was, they'd go right to the house and talk to the people, things like that. So it's a, it's a success story that was really uh, bad at one point. Mm -hmm. So. That's kind of some of the stuff that I see that are doing well. Yeah, um, and it, I guess kind of in a similar vein, um, can you give us either some or one success story of someone that you know who's gotten help? Um, one of the success stories I had when I was working the crisis line, I had a fella, I got to know him after a while, um, and we did. I did see him, ran into him in my old hometown. He's doing well now. Um, he did want to, to die, and he called me. I didn't know who he was. I didn't ask him his name right away. I just basically remained calm, let him talk about his problem, why he wanted to die. I asked him what his plan, if he had a plan, things like that, and he was actually really close to, to, to dying. Um, he had a gun and stuff like that, and he was in his truck alone, isolated himself. So I talked to him for about four or five hours, basically, just let him talk. I asked open-ended questions to keep him talking, and, uh, you know, eventually I asked him to put, you know, put the gun down for a while and let's keep talking here. And uh, basically, um, we went out and did, like, a mental status exam, talked to him. He agreed to see us uh, the next day. So he contracted with me that he would keep himself alive for overnight, sleep it off. Um, the way he made changes, um, he explained it. He said there's three areas, three things that he's done to change his life over a course of about three years, three or four years. 
um, and he's still working on it. It's really hard to do. It seems simple, but there's three things, and that is one, to keep the things in your life that are working. Um, keep the things in your life that are fixable, that are you know worth worth keeping, but worth that are fixable still. But anything that wasn't working, he removed from his life, whether it's relationships whether it was the alcohol or drugs or whatever it was, he totally removed it. Um, a, a job that he didn't like, he, he quit that. Um, just removed anything negative in his life. Started hanging out with positive people all the time because positiveness is, is contagious as well. Happiness, laughing. But so is sadness and all that bad stuff. So it's up to you where where you want to go, you know, you can make those changes for yourself. And that's the best advice he gave to me, and I kind of use it as well. Because there's just some things in your life that we carry around we don't, we don't need. Mm -hmm. And another thing we talked about, his success, our success in a lot of people, is that a lot of time as we become adults, we're either caught in the past or in the future. 40% of our day could be caught worrying about stuff we've done, right? Carrying all that garbage around. Or stuck in the future, the what ifs. Yeah. What if this happens? What if this? Where am I going? What's going to happen? And those are two areas we don't have no control over at all. What we mm -hmm. do have control over is present moment, which we barely spend a lot of time, time in our day. Yeah. And that's what we have control over. And I learned a lot of that from some of the elders I, I hang out with now. And they always say, well, you're breathing, the sun's out, look at the trees are here. And really centering, centered, centering, centering yourself, I guess yeah. you'd yeah. say. <laughs> and uh, just being humble and, and not being caught in two areas where um, they will make you sick eventually, physically, mentally. Because I believe... A lot of the mental health issues we have are brought on by ourselves, overthinking things. Mm -hmm. And I have that problem as well. I get, have to stop myself when I get caught in the what is or stuff I've done, which I can't change. I can apologize for stuff I've done, but I can't change it. You know, I'll learn, try to learn from those mistakes. So. Yeah. so that's one of the success stories that I know that he's, he's yeah. gotten help. And finally, what things do you do for yourself in order to cope with the intensity of your job? Well, as you can tell, I love to talk. So <laughs> I talk to a lot of people. Yeah. Sometimes that gets me in trouble, but um, I release a lot of stuff by talking. Um, I, I myself see a mental health therapist. Because um, when I go into communities, I bring a lot of that stuff with me back out of the community some of the negative stuff so what I do is um, I'll lay tobacco and smudge when I leave the community and one of the elders told me what if I'm driving to put tobacco on the highway and just keep driving and don't look back to kind of leave it there because I found when I first started doing this work I was taking all that with me and really it was hurting my heart and it was hurting the loved ones around me as well mm -hmm. So I was taking a lot of that garbage home with me, and I didn't even realize that how how quickly that stuff can build up and, ca and catch you. Um, 
So I, what I do is and I also I go to the gym quite a bit and I box. I started boxing. I just, I love it. Like it's just, it's just a flow of dopamine afterwards and you just feel great. It changes your day. If I don't get up in the morning and go to work out, I, I don't have a good day. Mm-hmm. It's just that flow of dopamine. And when I get to start getting down, I got to get to the gym. Okay. I'm sorry, but that's just the way, that's the way I cope. And um, I play hockey as well. So I do a lot. Um, my kids, my boys, I love spending time with my boys. We play, like I'm the biggest kid there is, I think. And, <laughs> and uh get right in there and we play all types of sport types of sports and just seeing them happy because I believe if you're not doing if you're not making someone else's life better then you're wasting your time mm. if that makes sense it does it really does because that's why I'm here and I learned a lot of my role as a man um, when I spent some time in Calicooley Lake with the elders just because that my traditions, my language, all taken away from me from residential school. So I'm learning those teachings back to teach my boys, my three boys, of what to do or how to deal with life struggles and some of the teachings. So I want to give back to them. So, but just seeing them laugh, and there's nothing better than that. Seeing them smile. That's my purpose, I think. Helping them through this through life because life can be pretty tough if you let it. Yeah, it can. Yeah, well, I guess just if there's if there's anything else you. I, I just believe that there needs to be way more awareness. Um, mental promotion needs to be in our schools starting at a very young age. So we learn how to preserve life, love life. Um, this is your life, and you need to protect it. You know, it's your gift. There's lots of different traditional sayings or, or beliefs. I'm not going to get into those too much right now, but every every community kind of has their own beliefs in regards to suicide. Every individual does. But um, just keeping yourself safe by, you know, eating right, lots of water, um, you know, trying to stay away from the bad things that are going to, like alcohol, stuff like that, ink drugs, all the, the stuff we hear all the time but um, just keeping yourself safe keeping moving get, get active if you can because that's even if it's just 10 minutes a day starting yeah. off because a lot of people that are depressed very tough for them to, to get out of bed sometimes or move or get some motivation going I listen to a lot of motivational I'm starting to learn stuff about that oh, yeah. listen to a lot of motivational speeches Starting to meditate a little bit. I'm thinking about trying yoga. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've tried it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think I'd, make, I'd be groaning too much. <laughs> it's a good workout, even if you're not flexible. It's a good workout. Yeah. Um, basically, just doing things for yourself that make you feel good throughout the day. You know, is a big step towards good mental health. Um, taking and being generous, like um, teaching my boys. To do one good good thing for somebody without asking for anything back, okay? Sounds simple, but some like once a day I'll be in Tim Hortons line, I'll buy the person behind me coffee and just take off. 
sounds small, but it, you know that person can't say, "Hey, thank you." And I'm not. That's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, just really trying to trying to learn the seven teachings and follow them. Very tough to do. So one of the elders told me that you know you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else truly. And another elder told me too that. Um, you know, it's okay to look in the past, but don't stare. Because then you're walking backwards in the future. You don't know what's coming. Right? That's all I basically had to say. Just the one thing that keeps coming into my mind is that so many people think that this t issue is just hopeless. So I guess my question is, do you see in the work you do, is there hope? Absolutely. I see there's hope. Um, and basically, how I see it is uh, understanding mental health, getting to know what's going on. Um, for example, I had a young guy that I talked to. He didn't understand what was going on inside his brain. Um, he took he took a drug on the weekend. Didn't know what he was taking. Uh, turned out to be ecstasy or something. So he thought he did permanent brain damage the next couple of days, um, he thought about suicide, didn't know what he did, he thought he, he just, he couldn't, he still feeling the effects of the drug, but I went in and talked to him and it just kind of explained, really, he, he just, he didn't say much, but just explained of what that type of drug will do to your brain and the after effects, how you're going to feel, you're going to feel really crappy about yourself and things you've done in the past are going to come back. All that stuff, whether you call it a hangover or whatever, the blues, there's a period of time after you're done using that, your body's not producing the endorphins and the serotonin, different things like that. So there's going to be a time period where your body has to rebuild again. But by just me explaining that to him, pro probably saved his life. Because he, you know, the next day got better, the next day got better. And I seen him at the store, and he actually come give me a hug, and he says, thanks, man, you know. And he's doing well. Um, but by just learning that's what's going on, there needs to be mental promotion. And uh, in all our schools, our school divisions, um, you're going to see a lot of mental promotion workers now that are in the mainstream schools. As First Nations, we need to grab that and get get on it. Why should we have to wait till all the other other schools are up and going yeah. and going? Why can't we do it right away? It's the same thing. Yeah. Because the biggest what I've been preaching or um, talking about lots is we decided our kids can't go to school and do academically well when they're hungry. So what did we do? What did we develop? What did we implement? Breakfast breakfast program. programs, lunch yes. programs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how do we expect our kids to go and do academically well when they're having mental health issues such as depression? Maybe they're not eating enough at home, uh, not sleeping enough, taking sleeping in shifts. A lot of people have been doing that. A lot of kids. And sometimes weekends ain't good for kids, you know. They bring that stuff to school. So how do we expect them to do well in math if they're thinking about possibly killing themselves? 
You see what I mean? So there has yeah. to be more mental health promotion, suicide prevention programs. There's such a need for it. And if we continue, in the past we've always looked away and said, you know, it'll work itself out. Or that child is just going through a phase. Phase, yeah. Okay, so now we have, it's time. If you look at the stats, are really, really high. Um, there needs to be something done now. I think we're already too far, a little bit behind, but I believe we can, we can help these kids, our people in general. Well, that's great. Thank you. And I just want to thank Kevin so much for talking with us today on Thunder Radio. And also, um, I wanted to thank the Clinic Community Health Center and Manitoba Health for providing the resources from the Reason to Live website. And that website address is reasontolive.ca. So thank you.